Welcome to Prima's 2020 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Lisa Stam will discuss Stop Loss Strategies. Lisa Stam is the Vice President of Consulting Services at Cheryl Morgan. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Lisa. Oh, you're very welcome. Happy to be here. So first off, why is aggregate coverage so inexpensive compared to specific coverage? Well, aggregate claims tend to be the more routine day-to-day claims that a health plan has. And they're a lot easier to predict for underwriters, especially after an underwriter has a couple of years of claims data to look at for a specific plan. Unlike specific claims, those are the the claims that are a little bit harder for underwriters to predict because it's hard to know when somebody's going to, for instance, have cancer or contract some other serious illness or disease. And that's why specific coverage, the coverage that a plan has for each individual that they cover, is a lot more expensive. If an underwriter gets the aggregate wrong on a health plan, that is a lot bigger deal than getting specific coverage wrong because that means that the underwriter probably didn't do their job very well. The only exception to that would be for a health plan that is relatively new and does not have a lot of claims experience for an underwriter to review. And actually, there would be a second instance where aggregate coverage might be a little bit harder for an underwriter to really pin down for a group. And that would be if it's a very small employer. It's harder for underwriters to predict from year to year how a small plan is going to run just because claims tend to have more peaks and valleys for smaller employers. And so for smaller employers, aggregate coverage might be a little bit more expensive than for large employers, and it might be more likely that an underwriter might get uh, the aggregate wrong for a small group. So small groups and immature self-funded groups, those are the groups who potentially are going to have aggregate claims, and that is where aggregate coverage can be more valuable also. Do employers need to carry aggregate stop-loss coverage, or is it safe to drop it at some point? That's an interesting question. Most small employers will tend to keep aggregate coverage, and that is because of what I just mentioned a moment ago, and that is it's harder for an underwriter to predict how a small plan is going to run from year to year on an aggregate basis. And so most of the time, groups with you know a couple hundred employees or fewer will tend to keep aggregate coverage. Larger groups who have a lot of claims experience under their belt and have uh, more employees, you know, in the 200 plus employee range will, in our opinion, be safer to drop that aggregate coverage over time. Even though it's relatively inexpensive, the cost of that coverage does add up over time. And so most of the, the clients we've worked with over the years have, after a couple of years, dropped the aggregate coverage. Now, having said that, this year is definitely an anomaly when it comes to the potential for needing aggregate coverage, because with the COVID-19 crisis going on, 
it's going to be a lot harder for underwriters and for group health plans to predict how their day-to-day claims are going to run. Most of the information that we're seeing in the industry would lead us to believe that most COVID claims are not going to be of the type that will hit your specific stop-off. They're more likely to be claims that will hit your aggregate stop-off. So you're going to see claims for testing, and you're going to see claims for treatment, sometimes hospitalization. The uh, average cost of a hospitalization, we're thinking, might be in the range of somewhere between twenty dollars and $70,000. Most employers have specific stop-off thresholds that are higher than that. So even with an extended COVID inpatient stay, you're probably not going to see that hit your specific stop-loss, but you will see it hit your aggregate stop-loss if you have it. And because aggregate coverage is relatively inexpensive, it might be a good idea if you're coming up on your stop-loss renewal for 2020 to consider adding that coverage back in, even if you've dropped it in the past, just for a, a year or two until we see how the COVID situation is going to play out. Sometimes a stop-loss carrier gives an employer the option of taking a laser versus having a higher increase in premium. Are lasers always a bad option? Well, first let me define what a laser is because that's sort of a scary term for a lot of self-funded employers. And what a laser is is simply a higher specific deductible on a particular individual. So with most stop-loss policies, you've got two types of stop-loss coverage, and we've talked about both of those already. One is specific stop-loss and the other is aggregate stop-loss. With specific stop-loss, the employer selects a certain specific deductible. That could be $50,000 or $100,000 or for very large employers, maybe even $500,000. So with a laser, what you have is simply a higher specific deductible for one individual. So when the underwriters are looking at a group and deciding what they want to offer by way of a stop-loss policy for a group's renewal. They may say, everybody on your plan is good at the specific deductible that you have of, let's say, $100,000. But we know that claimant A is likely to have $250,000 in claims next year, and claimant B is likely to have $500,000 in claims next year. So we want you to have a higher specific deductible for those two individuals, and that's what we call a laser. So occasionally, a carrier will say, you can either have a laser on this person, let's say claimants A and B in my example, or we won't laser those individuals, but we'll just charge you more premium for your stop-loss coverage. So even those, those lasers on paper can look like a very significant amount of liability, What we found is that only about 30% of the time do lasers actually hit their maximum potential. If you're in a situation where you're asked to choose between a laser or more premium, sometimes it makes more sense to take the laser liability, especially if you happen to know that a particular claimant is, let's say, toward the end of their treatment plan, or if you happen to know they're getting ready to retire or maybe leave your plan for some other reason. So sometimes it, it is a better a better gamble to take the laser because the thing we know about premium 
is that you're going to pay the premium regardless of what happens with your claims. Whereas with laser liability, you're only going to pay that liability if you actually incur it. So it's not always a bad thing to have a laser. What are the most important considerations for a small self-funded employer when evaluating stop-loss options? Small groups have gravitated towards self-funding, especially after the Affordable Care Act came into existence, because the ACA had certain components that made self-funding more attractive for smaller employers, things like coverage mandates, and there was a tax that was assessed on fully insured plans that is that was not assessed on self-funded plans. And so it, it became more attractive for employers with let's say, even fewer than 100 employees to self-fund. Now, there are safe ways to do that and not-so-safe ways to do that. And one of the best things that you can do as a smaller self-funded employer is to purchase a few additional bells and whistles, if you will, on your stop-loss policy that will protect you if you happen to have some very significant high claimants. Now, some of these won't be available the first year that you self-fund in many instances because, again, underwriters want to get some claims experience to look at and have some history by which to evaluate the risk of a particular group. But a couple of the stop-loss policy enhancements that we really like for smaller self-funded plans are what we call a no-new-laser guarantee and a premium rate cap. So we really like for small employers to have both of those features. And what that does for a plan is it guarantees that at the next renewal, you cannot have a laser assigned to your plan. So no matter what happens during the course of the next year of self-funding, let's say you had a million-dollar claimant crop up, and that million-dollar claimant was going to be a million-dollar claimant for multiple years. Without a new new laser guarantee, the stop-loss carrier could say, okay, everybody's good at your specific deductible of, let's say, $100,000, but we want you to have a million dollars in liability on this claimant. The no new laser guarantee prohibits the stop-loss carrier from doing that. Now, that's great protection, but without a premium rate cap in association with that, what that carrier could do is say, well, we can't assign a million-dollar laser, but we're going to charge you a million dollars more in premium. So if you have a rate cap on your stop-loss policy, typically it would be something like a 50% rate cap or a 75% rate cap. The stop-loss carrier could not increase your premium, your stop-loss premium, for your specific coverage by more than that percentage. So it sounds like a big percentage, but it's not let's say, a 50% increase on all of your plan costs. It's just on that specific stop-loss premium, which is usually less than 20% of your overall plan cost. So it would be saying you can't have a laser and they cannot increase your specific stop-loss premium by more than 50%. Those two protections in combination give smaller self-funded plans a lot of peace of mind. Now, you will pay a little more in premium to have those protections, it's usually 10 to 15% of an additional premium load for your specific coverage, but it's well worth it. And we've seen that payoff many times for smaller self-funded plans and even larger self-funded plans. Another important protection for smaller self-funded plans 
is that aggregate coverage. Because as I mentioned, it is a lot harder to predict how a smaller supplement plan's claims are going to run from year to year. A million-dollar claimant affects a smaller self-funded plan in a more significant way than it does a larger self-funded plan just because you don't have that smoothing effect that you have when you, when you have a bigger pool of individuals to spread the claims over. So aggregate coverage will usually be very important. But what might be even more important than simply having aggregate coverage is having what we call aggregate accommodation. So what that is, is really cash flow protection for a small self-funded plan. It essentially takes your aggregate coverage, which is your maximum claims liability that your stop-loss policy says you're responsible for, and it divides it up by 12, essentially. I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but it essentially takes your maximum liability and divides it up by the 12 months of the policy year. And then it guarantees that you won't pay more than one-twelfth of that liability in any particular month. So what that does for you is it says if you have a really big claims month during the course of this policy year, then the stop-loss carrier will give you money that month to help with cash flow. And at the end of the year, if you're not over your maximum claims amount for the entire year, you might have to give that back to the stop-loss carrier. But during the course of the year, it's available to you for cash flow protection. So for some smaller employers for whom cash flow can be an issue when you're self-funded, that's great protection to have. And then the third thing that a smaller employer might purchase, especially in the first couple of years of self-funding, is what we call terminal liability option protection. And so what that is, is stop-loss protection for all of your what we call run-out claims that you might incur if you left self-funding at the end of, of your policy year and went to a fully insured plan. So it costs a little more to have that protection, but it does give you some flexibility if you get into self-funding and then you find out that it's, it's really not the best option for your workforce and you want to go back to a, a traditional fully insured plan. So that is sort of an expensive enhancement. It's something like a 20% premium load. So a lot of times once groups get into self-funding and they realize that it is a good fit for them, they'll drop that TLO coverage. But for a year or two, it's, it's usually a good thing to have. So those are the three things that, that I would say are very important protections for the smaller self-funded employer to consider. The no new laser with the rate cap, aggregate coverage with aggregate accommodation, and terminal liability option coverage. What are some of the things you've seen go wrong with stop-loss claims? There are several things that can go wrong, and with a little forethought and planning, you can definitely avoid some of these pitfalls. The first thing that can happen is that you could have a disclosure issue. So one of the things you're asked to do when you're self-funded at the uh, inception of your stop-loss policy, especially if you're if you are working with a new stop-loss carrier, is to disclose any claims that you're aware of that have the potential to be stop-loss claims in the next year. So there's usually a form called a disclosure form that you're asked to complete, and sometimes it's tempting to not disclose everything that you're aware of. So maybe you're aware that somebody just got a diagnosis of cancer. They haven't incurred any claims yet, so the underwriter wouldn't be aware of the situation. 
but it, it definitely has the potential to make your renewal not an attractive one. But the last thing in the world you want to have happen is that during the course of the year, this claimant becomes a specific claimant and you're asking the stop loss carrier to reimburse claims over your specific deductible and they deny those reimbursements because you didn't disclose that individual and they feel that you knew about that and did not disclose it. So our our rule of thumb is always, always, if in doubt, disclose it. Just get it out there, put it on the form, let the stop loss carrier know, because if you have a specific stop loss claim that gets denied for disclosure reasons, it's a really bad day. The next thing that can happen is that you might have an entity called a managing general underwriter involved in your stop loss. And some managing general underwriters, or MGUs as we call them, are not exactly scrupulous. Many of them are, and we work with a number of good ones, but sometimes that can lead to stop-loss claims issues because what an MGU does is it acts as sort of a a middleman, if you will, for stop-loss. So it's an additional layer between the self-funded plan and the actual stop-loss carrier, the insurer who's acting as your stop-loss or your reinsurance carrier. And anytime you introduce another layer into the situation, there's a potential for something to go wrong. MGUs typically have some part of the risk. They share that with the stop-loss carrier, and usually they don't disclose how much of the risk they're responsible for. So it's really important that either your consultant or your third-party administrator vets that MGU well so that you know that you're not going to have claims issues down the road with that company. Another thing that can lead to stop-loss claims issues is when an employer's personnel practices don't match what their health plan says their um, personnel practices should be. So, for instance, your health plan has an eligibility section in it, every health plan does, and it defines who's eligible for coverage on that plan. And occasionally, an employer will be somewhat lax with those eligibility provisions. Uh, Maybe they have somebody who's out on short-term disability, and they don't want to terminate them from the health plan because they know they're coming back to work. And so they just decide that we'll just allow them to stay on the health plan and Unfortunately, their health plan doesn't allow for that type of continuation. So what can happen is that individual becomes a specific stop-loss claimant, and the stop-loss carrier wants to know, was this person eligible for the plan? They'll ask to see payroll records. They'll ask to see time sheets sometimes, make sure that person was actually working the number of hours that you're supposed to work in order to be eligible for the plan. And if the employer can't provide that documentation, then that could lead to a denial of a stop-loss claim. So it's really important that you make sure that whatever your health plan says in terms of eligibility for your plan is what you're doing in practice. And if it's not, then you need to think about amending your health plan to reflect what you're doing in practice. So if you know that you want to continue 
employees on your plan, in my example, when they're out on short-term disability, then amend your health plan to say that employees can be continued on the health plan while they're out on short-term disability. There are some other instances that come up quite frequently, continuing coverage during periods of unpaid leave that aren't FMLA leave. So if somebody has a a health situation for themselves or their family and FMLA doesn't cover that particular situation, sometimes employers want to be generous and say, well, we'll just continue you on the health plan. Well, if the health plan doesn't provide for that in terms of its eligibility provisions, then the stop-loss carrier could have grounds for denying a claim down the road. Another potential area where this comes up is with severance agreements. If you ever, as an employer, offer severance agreements and and as a part of that severance agreement, you agree to continue a former employee's coverage on your health plan, then you need to write that into your health plan. So today with the COVID-19 crisis, these situations are coming up pretty frequently. So you've got employees out there who have been furloughed or laid off or just to have had a reduction from home. These are all situations that you want to make sure are taken into account in your health plan eligibility provisions. And if they're not, then you need to be thinking about amending your plan, at least on a temporary basis, to cover those situations. And if none of the provisions of your health plan cover a particular situation and you cannot amend your plan or your stop-loss carrier won't agree to that amendment, then the best thing to do is to make sure that the individual who you want to continue coverage for elects COBRA. And so you offer them COBRA, they complete their COBRA paperwork, and you as the employer have the option of waiving their COBRA premiums if you're so inclined. But the important thing to do is to make sure that all of your your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted with your COBRA paperwork because the stop-loss carrier will look for that if the if an individual ever becomes a stop-loss claimant. The final area where we see a lot of issues with stop-loss claims is when an employer wants to pay something outside of the plan provision. So let's say your plan doesn't cover a particular service, but it's a service that you really would like for an employee to have. It's a you know very sympathetic situation. Maybe you really want to help this person out. And one of the nice things about self-funding is that you do have the ability to do that, but you need to be careful about it because just because you want to cover a particular claim outside of what your plan says it covers doesn't mean your stop-loss carrier is on board with doing that. So the best thing to do, if you can avoid it, is not pay for things that your health plan doesn't cover or amend your plan to cover the things that you wish to cover with stop-loss carrier approval, of course. If you decide you want to cover something outside of your plan, just be aware that there's the potential the stop-loss carrier will deny that claim if it becomes a stop-loss issue. And there are other issues that can occur also in addition to stop-loss. Anytime you're paying something, what we call extra contractually, And those additional issues would be discrimination. So if you pay something outside of your plan for one individual and you don't pay for a similar service for another individual, then the person whose service was denied could allege that you were discriminating against them. 
And then, of course, if you pay something outside of your plan, because that's not a, a covered benefit under your group health plan, then that could be a taxable event for your employee. So, you know, tread carefully whenever you're considering paying for a claim that is not covered under the confines of your health plan. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.